if she was president, I think she'd start nuclear war with Putin within two weeks. She may start a nuclear war with herself. That lady's crazy. In 1999, an awesome collective of dudes were deposited in Big Sky Country via the Uncle Sam Express, destined for adventures unknown. Faced with living in a maximum security social nightmare and trapped in a land time forgot, these dudes bonded quick, fast, and in a hurry, eventually blasting out onto the garbage can world at large. Today, perpetually searching for their next great adventure, these dudes thrive as ambassadors of awesomeness. You're a fan of laughter and other shenanigans, and you can locate this podcast. Then perhaps you can join us to get a little GCD. Howdy folks, Double J back here, coming at you live slash recorded from my studio slash spare bedroom, real deep in them foothills of Appalachia, directly from the number one drug overdose death capital of America. Uh, once again... Double J here. I will be your pilot and navigator for this shenanigan-infused journey into the mind of this particular garbage can dude. And for those of you taking notes, that's spelled with two J's for that double dose of jackassery. Now, folks of the interwebs, I have a real dandy on deck for y'all today. Joining me for yet another very GCD conversation is Mr. Darren Williams, directly from Liverpool, England. Darren is a big fan of Operation GCD, who has joined me for a few previous conversations revolving around the topics of the Knights Templar, their affinity for ancient mounds, and the giant human skeletons that have been found buried in many of those mounds. Both in Darren's home country of England and here in good old America. Now, I find Darren to be an astute observer of his surroundings there in his home city of Liverpool. A city started by King John of Lackland, you know, the villain in the film Robin Hood. A city started around some ancient mound sites circa the year 1207, just about the time King John was given the Templar land back to the Vatican. I guess he figured he would do that while his brother, the actual king, was off on the Crusades there in the old country of Jerusalem, circa 1213. This, of course, led to the Templars taking King John hostage circa the year 1215, which then led to the King John granting land and rights back to the Templars, free of tax. Because that's what it's really all about here, folks. Really all about contracts and taxes. Anyhow, that 1215 event, known today as the Magna Carta, was the clear predecessor to Templar descendant George Washington, whose forefather, Robert de Ross, Knights Templar, was responsible for Magna Carta, and old G-dubs, George Washington, his great-great-great-great-great, etc. grandson 
was responsible for Magna Carta 2.0, circa 1776. George also liked mounds, just a side note. And George likely also big fan of giant human skeletons. But little known fact about George Washington, no one had invented dinosaurs yet. So the only giant things that George would have known about would have been humans and not these alleged fucking lizards. Anyhow, back to olden times, circa this conversation and the story of Robin Hood. You know, that film essentially tells the tale of King John taking the land of the Knights Templars while they were off on crusades. Which is an historical event, as I just discussed. Now, in the plot of the film, Robin of Loxley, being the returning crusader, who found the illegitimate King John had taken his land in the land of his Templar brothers. Now, Darren and I kind of discussed this topic of geopolitics in our modern era through a lens of this older Templar dispute of, again, land and taxes and and rights. We discussed the executive actions of both the UK and America in our current era, you know, through this Templar lens. And wouldn't you guess, Johnny, both Darren and I find connections. Darren in the current activities surrounding the UK's Brexit and relative to America's actions. Old Donald Trump, President DJT, decided to move the American Embassy to Jerusalem. That's strange, right? Well, not so much. Seems to be an area there in Jerusalem, a small plot of real estate, if you will, that folks have been fighting for for a couple thousand years, but to be more Templar-specific, about 900 years since the Templars were fighting for the Holy Land there in Jerusalem. Turns out folks are still fighting for that land today. And American politicians just moved the American Embassy closer to that plot of land. Now, depending on the literal side of the fence that folks sit on, that same plot of land, that small piece of real estate that folks have been fighting for for a couple thousand years, some folks call it the Temple Mount, some folks call it the Dome of the Rock, But don't you dare imply that it's anything Templar-related, because that's just preposterous. Another example of the olden-time Templar connections to modern events, the drunk monk in the film Robin Hood. He would be a monk of the Cistercian Order, the Templars' monks, the Cistercian monks. You know, the folks whom the largest mound here in America is named after, Monk's Mound in Cahokia, Illinois. Well, here in modern events, the Northern California chapter of the Cistercian Monks recently completed a reconstruction of a Templar religious abbey on this property just outside the town of Chico. A religious abbey from the 13th century that used to sit in the nation of Spain, which now sits at one of the original settlement sites of California, a site formerly owned by old man Stanford, You know, the fellow that invented Stanford University? That's kind of strange. Why are modern-day Cistercian monks moving olden-day Templar religious abbeys to these seemingly important sites, such as one of the original sites of the state of California? And on a different note, these same Northern California monks have teamed up with the local popular craft brewing operation, Sierra Nevada Brewery, where 
they serve up some of their monk brews. You know, kind of like the drunk monk in Robin Hood. Well, let's see here. We also discussed the mythos surrounding the Knights Templar. There's some common mythos amongst the conspiracy culture, some popular notions surrounding the Knights Templar. We discuss a few of those things. Uh, I lean towards not putting much faith in many of these tales. First of all, much of the mythos surrounding the Knights Templar seems to originate from the Vatican, who is once again the arch-nemesis of the Templars, and ended the Templar Order back in circa 1307. And uh, I just, I feel like the Vatican wouldn't have many nice things to say about their enemies. And on top of that, they even came out a few years ago and said, hmm, you know what? We apologize. We looked at our notes. We took another look at it. And we seem to have made up all those tales about the Knights Templar. And we're kind of sorry for taking all their property. Oops. But yeah, it seems that these gross sexual tales of the Knights Templar that are often perpetuated throughout conspiracy culture, you know, it seems that time has told a different tale. It seems that the Vatican are the gross sexual offenders. And as far as the Baphomet worship, that's another common conspiracy culture notion of the Knights Templar, it seems to me that between the Vatican and a satirical publication of the late 19th century, a a, uh, book and publication known today as the Taxel Hoax. A fellow by the name of Leo Taxel allegedly made up these tales of Baphomet worship going on in Freemasonic lodges of the time, dating back to Templar times. Again, perpetuating some more of those Vatican myths. It just seems to me that perhaps that that's all they are, they myths. And another way to erase the Templars from history, because that's basically what has occurred. The Templar history of our world is most certainly not publicly known throughout historical teachings, at least here in America, not not in the school system that I went through. And lastly, another Templar popular conspiracy culture notion surrounding the Templars is their alleged invention of modern-day banking systems, when I would say you have to look no further than the richest nation in the world, the Templars' enemy the Vatican, or as I like to call them, the cloaked diddlers of Rome. And lastly, Darren and I also discuss giant human skeletons and giant puppets. Like the giant spectacle of giant puppets in an art demonstration, a quote-unquote art demonstration, that recently danced through the streets of Liverpool, England. Now, Darren documents much of this performance on his Twitter feed as it makes certain stops through some very ancient and occult sites of Liverpool, sites complete with mounds and megalithic stone structures. In fact, one of these ancient sites, the Cowderstones Park, a site allegedly older than Stonehenge, circa, you know, 4,800 years old, well, just a few years ago, a young boy on a school field trip visited the ancient stones and he noticed a carving of an animal on one of these stones and after much ridicule of the child the 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 science folks over there they looked at it you know they looked at the stone that is and sure as shit they found previously unnoticed carving of an animal on that ancient stone an ancient carving on that ancient stone meaning 
It seems that folks clearly don't care to understand about the history of this site. Not if it's faced scientific scrutiny for a couple hundred years and some young child discovers a previously undocumented ancient carving on the stone. I mean, let's get fucking serious here, Johnny. What are we talking about? And just for a relative understanding of what I'm talking about with giants and in Liverpool, well, the closest ancient site that still exists today there near Liverpool happens to bear the name of some of this giant biz. It's known in local terms as Barclodiad e Gares, or in English as the Apronful of the Giantess. It's a megalithic stone and burial mound site not far from Liverpool. Now let me leave you folks with this final note on the Templars and Giants, kind of connecting the old world to the new world, if you will. One of the famous Spanish conquistadors who visited America circa the mid-1500s was a fellow known as De Soto. He hailed from the city of the Templars in the nation of Spain. You know, the nation of Spain, formerly uh, home to the Knights Templar, and uh, also formerly home to a Knights Templar Abbey that now sits at one of the original settlements of the state of California in the home of the Templar monks. I can't make this shit up. Anyway, uh, when DeSoto was visiting the region of America, known today as Florida and Alabama, he met a native chief by the name of Tuscaloosa. Now, Tuscaloosa was apparently a powerful chief of the natives and a seven-foot-tall man. Of course, folks today can visit ancient mounds in the city of Tuscaloosa in the state of Alabama, a state that claims to have mounds older than Stonehenge, just like the mounds there in Liverpool. Hmm, weird. Anyhow, folks of the interwebs, thanks again for joining us today to get a little GCD. Catch you on the flip with that conversation with Liverpool native Mr. Darren Williams. William! Woke up quick at about noon. Just thought that I had to be in Compton soon. I gotta get drunk or the day begins. Before my mother starts preaching about my friends. About to go and damn near went blind. Young is on the path going up gang signs. I went in the house to get the clip with my Mac 10 on the side of my head. I bailed outside and I pointed my weapon. Just as I thought the fools kept stepping. The Alpine play. I was pumping new shit by NWA. It was gangster, gangster at the top of the list. Then I play my own shit and win something like this. It seems that the brothers Johnson are ready to go into civil war over Brexit and who inherits number 10. And that has a Knights Templar possible link because the Johnson family. Uh, openly boast about how uh, one of their names, one of their middle names, is linked to a lieutenant of William the Conqueror from 1066. Sure. So uh, I'm Boris, familiar with that story. That's where the uh, the Vance clan goes back to as well, a lieutenant of William the Conqueror. There you another, go. Another prominent Knights, Knights Templar family there. And I believe, what's the... 
Well, I mean, Clan Vance is still a prominent family in Scotland today. There's a member of Clan Vance in representing Parliament from from Scotland today. So what's happened today is that Boris Johnson's younger brother has resigned, called Leo. He's resigned from the cabinet, and he said that what Britain needs now is another referendum on if to leave the EU or not. I, I did read something about that. I didn't get into the names and the details. That's interesting. So Boris, his older brother, he wants to leave the EU, and now the younger brother now wants to stay in the EU. So now we've got two brothers fighting over the throne. So it's really the medieval era, 2.0. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth there, and I said, that could not sound more medieval of times than what you just described. That That's the start of so many wars through medieval times. And then another interesting thing about the Johnson family is that their grandfather was a Turkish Sufi who was a political refugee kicked out of Turkey for his, one, his religious beliefs being Sufi and then two, wanting so-called reform. So what I get from that is that Boris Johnson's grandfather was a British operative that got found out by the Turks and then he just had to escape for his life. But then Sufism then links with the Knights Templar because the rumour is is that the Knights Templar were fighting with the assassins, but then they realised that they actually had more in common than actually what they had in difference. So then they created this secret society that still runs the game today. And I think that what you just said is depicted in the film Robin Hood, if I'm not mistaken. You have the the uh, the Templar, Robin Hood, <coughs> coming back from the Crusades, circa, you know, 12th century, going to uh, modern-day, you know, Israel, still fighting for the same plot of land today, Darren. That same plot of land there in Jerusalem is still the same plot of land that they were fighting for back then. So, I mean, what are we talking, 900 years later and we're still after the same same real estate well well there's some sort of like the rumor is as you would know but maybe the listeners don't that there is um this there's this heads of talking goats that if involved in black occult rituals can then connect to other dimensions or other times, other times in space and give you financial advice on how to make financial banking corporate empires. So that's, that's the, that is the basis of modern banking. Severed heads talking to you. <laughs> you know, I've heard that story numerous times, especially connected to the Templars. And I've tried to track down the source, the root source of that tale. And I, I think it originates from a 19th century <coughs> that was written basically as a parody. And, and it, and it's still six today. I don't know if that's 100% accurate and I can't, to be honest with you, Darren, and for the edification of the folks of the interwebs, I can't think of that 19th century tale. <laughs> well, um, I it didn't put it in, put it in the show notes because there was a, there was some controversy surrounding kind of that, that whole, that whole myth, mythos of the Knights Templar and the 
and the talking heads. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying there's definitely controversy as far as the root of that of that story. Or seems well, controversy. Well, one of the interesting things uh, I found through my research on the Knights Templar is the origin of um, the term "kiss my ass." <laughs> right. And the origin of that terminology came about where Knights Templar were fine. They had a, a vow within the Knights Templar that's been um, developed and researched. I'm getting this from Freeman, or known as Freeman Fly, and then Tracy Twyman. Sure. And basically, when you were a Knights Templar, if another knight asked you for a sexual favour, you had to do it, no questions asked. And the ultimate form of submission was that the head Knight Templar would um, touch his toes and then spread his cheeks or get two guys to spread his cheeks. And then, um, to use the term Chris Rock would say, you would have to toss the salad <laughs> in front of all the other brothers. Right. So what you were doing was you were showing ultimate submission. So hence the term "kiss my ass." Sounds like a um, like a modern day frat brothers party. <laughs> and I, and the other interesting part of this is I am um, not so much now because it isn't as good as what it used to be. But maybe twenty years ago, I was a big WWE fan. And the owner of it, uh, Vince McMahon, had a thing called the Kiss My Arse Club, where what Vince would do is he would, um, it's, you, can't, you couldn't show this now on primetime television, but he would hike up his shirt, put down his golf trousers, and then hold Cooper's uh, genitalia, and then make a member of the roster kiss his backside okay i mean that's pretty demeaning especially on a national or worldwide broadcast but then if you look at it if you were to do that then you would be showing ultimate submission to vince mcmahon and then you would sure the club so no, totally i and i think some of those stories um I mean, they, may, they may have some validity to them i tend to think that a lot of those kind of stories about the templar are more like more in in context in proper context you have the the you know the templar they've almost been erased from from history in our modern era they've all but been erased i mean many of their actual facts and history of the knights templar are not known today not even just commonly known i just feel like they're not known so when you have i think when you have an organization so powerful that ultimately gets destroyed by the vatican the most powerful nation on the world today richest most powerful nation in the world is the vatican a lot of folks i don't think realize that but when you have such power like that as your enemy i just feel like you know these are the stories that get made up you know like you know in defeating your enemy you have to demean your enemy by creating stories such as they're they're tossing each other's salad hey look these guys are out there tossing each other's salad while we're over here doing our, our business you know that kind of thing well, who, who, well, all I know is that you, you have this little fraternity um, that goes from Europe to defend the Holy Land against um, heretics and pagans and unbelievers. 
and they're quite a smallish financial click. And then in a matter of less than 25 years, they become one of the most richest cliques. Sure. So, so it's interesting to find out what they discovered, what they found. Um, was it was it knowledge that they found, and then that then gave them the advantage, or was it sort of just natural resources? Did they just find a lot of gold and diamonds, and then it just came from there? But one thing that is interesting about the whole thing is it's still as as we're talking about the brothers Johnson, it still continues today. It's in absolutely skull and bones is definitely um, a part of it. We still don't know really what the Jesuit master plan is. Well, I mean, uh, look, every U.S. president is a descendant of a Knights Templar, Donald Trump included, you know, and that's why every U.S. president is second cousins with the royal family there in England because, th- I mean, th- this is still a topic of conversation today, what we're talking about, this Templar origins of, of history and how it still interacts with our modern day situation and society. Because again, we're still fighting for the same plot of real estate in Jerusalem. I mean, actively there's folks launching grenades and bombs at each other right now. I have no doubt in my mind between the Israeli forces and the Palestinian forces. And then you, you know, lo and behold, one of Donald Trump's, you know, first big, you know, global geopolitical moves is to take the U S embassy and move it back to Jerusalem. I'm not, I actually don't even know if it's back. I think they're just moving the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem for the first time. So, I mean, it's just, that to me just seems extremely Templar of them to do. You know, same same thing as his, Donald Trump's official state visit to England on July 13th, Friday the 13th, this past summer, and all the ruckus that he started when he was over there. He was, I mean, if, I don't know if you recall, Darren, but he was not exactly like, you know, the... Uh, I guess most respectful to some certain protocols while he was visiting England. I just think the, and this is controversial, I'm going to say something about Donald Trump that maybe has never been said before. (laughs) But but one of the reasons why I actually kind of like him is because we have been chained by political correctness to such a degree that we are now more concerned about what others think of our actions than what we actually do with our actions. And I sort of would prefer to know where I stand with a political leader than have a clever con man like Dick Cheney or Tony Blair. Slick Willie. Or um, Mr. He's the biggest Obama. political con man of our time, or Bill Clinton. And of course, Billy Boy. And the thing is, it's that what what do you want your leaders to be? Do you want them to play saxophone on a, a Cineo Hall, <laughs> right? Whilst ordering black hot death squads to do things that break the constitution, or would you rather know that um, Donald Trump is best friends with Eric Prince, formerly of Blackwater? And Eric Prince's sister is now the head of education for America. I would rather it be out in the open, honest, and we know where we stand. Because the more dangerous man is the man who is the slickster, who is the one that will um, smile and say all the right things and not at the appropriate time. 
Oh, and, totally. And be very respectful to the Queen. And the other thing why I like Trump is someone who is of mixed heritage of both a uh, black and white heritage. I don't say the uh, term biracial, by the way, people. That is a term from the LGBT community that is trying to cross over their identity with racial identity which i don't believe in i am i am of mixed heritage i am of both black and white ethnicity and one of the things that i like about trump is he ends the notion of white superiority and what i mean by that is one of the reasons why i think the likes of cnn and the likes of the bbc and the media and the metropolitan educated liberals are annoyed is that they create this perception of being civil, of being sophisticated, of being very deliberate and even to the, to the, to the degree of being robotic in terms of their emotions. But when you get when you go to university or if you party with these people they're just as debauched as somebody who's on an unemployment benefit it's just that they've got education and the person who's on low wages uses cocaine as an antidepressant to sort of block out the reality of having no money and having no opportunity in future they'll use cocaine as just recreation for fun but ultimately, they are just as debauched as everyone. Just an example of this is one Jeffrey Epstein, the elephant in the room. He is a billionaire businessman, and even today, Darren, you're underselling him. He's he's like a James Bond villain. He's got the largest private residence in Manhattan. He's got his own Virgin Island. That's there's the irony in that. The ver- he has his own Virgin Island. You know, he's got the largest. Uh, it's either the largest or second largest privately owned ranch in the state of New Mexico. I mean, this guy's, I mean, on paper, this guy's a James Bond villain. Let's be honest about the situation. So for all these people who are familiar with this wonderful podcast and also the research, um, the gentleman we are are talking about is a American East coast billionaire called Jeffrey Epstein who made his money in banking but then used the money to uh, get into genetics and he became obsessed around genetics and what that is. And he befriended a number of well-known people such as people of high caliber, such as uh, Kevin Spacey. Prince Andrew. Prince Andrew, uh, Dr. Stephen Hawking. Oh yeah, that was a weird one to see on the registry of going flying on his aircraft with Stephen Hawking. So what, seriously, who is he? Who is he molesting? He's not molesting anybody. He doesn't have any the ability to molest these the kids. Which, of course, Jeffrey Epstein was clearly involved in the sex trafficking of children. No, but what happens if somebody's that kinky? Do you like to watch? Right. He like tells. He would, are you suggesting that Stephen Hawking may have been you know speaking things into his little box and ordering the kids to to do various activities? I think. That's I disturbing, but I could see it. I think I can't say if he was he was involved with the underage thing, but I would say based on the. Well, I mean, the, when in Rome, I mean, how many times is the guy on the guy's aircraft? You know what I mean, like Hawking. That is. I I would say that based upon the known criminal convictions of 
Mr Epstein and his predilections. It could be imaginable that Stephen Hawking programmed his voice to sound like the end of California Love by Tupac, and that would be um, the Roger Troutman Zap programme, and that would be the one where he would be getting down and he would be saying all the kinky shit. <laughs> but maybe that's my imagination, right. people. <laughs> hey, man, Are it's you- possible. It's definitely possible because I didn't buy Stephen Hawking. I don't, I don't really honestly buy the Stephen Hawking mainstream tale. I mean suddenly there's this unique device that makes this guy speak not to mention he lived like 17 times longer than anyone else with Lou Gehrig's disease I mean Lou Gehrig himself died within like three years and this and that guy was literally the iron whatever they call him the iron horse or whatever he played so many consecutive baseball games in Major League Baseball that he got his own nickname about it and then he died of a, a syndrome, that a disease that he got named after him. And he didn't survive very long. But Stephen Hawking, the skinny fellow from, from Britain, suddenly just lived like 50 years with that disease. It was really bizarre. And again, I'm very confused on the technology involved with reading this guy's brainwaves. I mean, why don't we have more of that? Why is this not like a commercially viable device for other people with that same disease? I, uh, one of the these, things these I, are the questions I have. I mean, you know what I mean? Well, in defense of Stephen Hawking's, in Britain, we have a wonderful medicinal product known as cups of tea. <laughs> and I think maybe if you drink enough cups of tea, it puts lead back in the pencil, so to speak. <laughs> okay. So maybe he was just swimming and bathing in cups of tea. And that just was the longevity of it. Like, personally, I don't drink cups of tea because everybody drinks cups of tea. And there's a, everybody's got their own specific niche around how to, how to make a cup of tea. And if you give someone the wrong type of cup of tea, they look at you like you've insulted their mother. And really, with what's going on currently in the world, I can't be dealing with people in their cups of tea. Just have something like orange juice, get it out the car and pour it in the glass. So you're saying Stephen Hawking had some magic tea. I mean, I'm into it. He might have done, you know what I mean? As I say, you know... I mean, if he did truly have the disease, he clearly had some some secrets. I mean... Triple sandwiches? Johnson doesn't have AIDS anymore. He clearly found the secret. Triple sandwiches, maybe. (laughs) Who knows what's going on in the upper echelons of Britishness, so to speak. So one of the things that I, outside looking in, JJ, is that your nation is currently turning into Springfield, a la the um, Simpsons in terms of its political um class is it that random is is it is it going into like really bizarre um things is it true that that's funny because i was going to say the same thing to you darren because i was just getting up to speed last week on the uh the brexit situation because it boggles my mind i understand that there's different rules over there as far as the democratic voting processes of the uk versus the democratic voting processes here in america however you all voted to leave the European Union, and then your government was like, well, I don't know about that. We, we, we kind of want to stay. 
well, with with I'll 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 do Britain first, and then I'll let you talk about right. your nation. What what's happening here is that the way Britain operates, unlike your country, the Britain operates that you are near enough in a set bandwidth of economic advancements so entrepreneurship doesn't really exist here so you're born into a certain type of class you'll go to um, be educated and you may go up one level in terms of housing and you'll just stay there sure and the american dream is um, maybe it doesn't exist like that now, but from somebody that's never been to America, but that's read a lot and watched a lot of documentaries and talked to a lot of Americans, an individual could start as a cleaner of dishes in a Manhattan restaurant and then eventually through being clever and having ingenuity and just having charm and personality and a good work ethic, they could get the attention of the owner, and then eventually the owner then puts them up a level with more responsibilities and things to do. They do the same, they, they knock it out the park, then they go up another level, and then eventually that person leaves and then opens their own restaurant in another part of New York, and eventually they themselves become a millionaire, just like your former boss. But what happens in Britain is that because we obviously have this Oxbridge, which is Oxford and Cambridge combined um, set, which are dominant in um, frontline politics in a national level, that you have to be part of that. You have to go to either Oxford or Cambridge to be taken seriously. I think there's some sort of um, initiation stuff, secret society stuff going on. An example of this is the Oxford University uh, student newspaper, which has been going on, I think, for over 100 years, is called ISIS. And that is actually named after the Egyptian goddess, Sure. So we're going into Freemasonry, we're going into Andalusian before the flood type of things here. So this is what the British uh, class is up for. And then also on top of that, you've got people like the Johnson family who can trace their lineage all the way back to William the Conqueror near a thousand years ago. And what William did was that all his trusted lieutenants and soldiers that got his attention for bravery were given certain plots of land in London. And today, a lot of those plots of land are the most expensive retail, a real estate uh, and retail parts of London. So what they just created was they just created it as a closed shop. And this is how it's always going to be. And we're just going to make the money and um, nobody else can come in. This is why it's always mystified me around the legend of Robin Hood. Because it's right. actually it's actually the most un-British thing you can get. You get somebody who's a former veteran who comes back, sees that the ruling class is corrupt and using their status and their legality to basically rob from the poor. 
and then he uses his military experience, creates a militia, and then basically um, doesn't overthrow the country, but then makes some of the country free from that rule. So that sort of is... Well, I mean, that's a very, again, that's a very Knights Templar tale. I mean, again, before you mentioned the Sufis and the the, uh, the Muslim assassins, eventually the Templars, they initially were fighting against the Templars that were fighting against the assassins, but then initially, or eventually, got a truce with the assassins and were working hand in hand in their whatever battles they were involved in at the time. But, for example in the last Robin Hood with Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman, Morgan Freeman playing the role of the assassin in that film. But I mean, that, 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 uh, the history of Liverpool, your city there, England, and the Knights Templar history of Robin Hood are not too far apart because King John, the villain in Robin Hood is who started Liverpool right around the same time he decided to give all of the Templars land back to the Vatican, which was kind of what Robin Hood was about from, you know, from a historical perspective is when Robin Hood got back, King, you know, King Richard the Lionheart was on the crusades as well. When Robin Hood got back, King John had given all the land back to all the Templar land back to the Vatican. It's just a very, interesting and frighteningly like one thing i do know about contemporary liverpool is that there was a in 2008 there was going to be a swingers club that was going to open in the city center in the street called henry street i believe and the guy who was going to open it was an Dublin entrepreneur, the state guy. And he wanted, I think his fantasy was that he opens a swinging club and he does what he does. And then he goes to, uh, to see Liverpool on a Saturday afternoon, play soccer. So he was ready to uh, install the swinging club, get it all popping. And then it got blocked by the Liverpool Catholic Church Diocese because really? they actually owned the land where Henry Street is. And then it was found later by the Liverpool Daily Post and then the Liverpool Echo that the Catholic Church owns huge swathes of land in the city centre going as far as something known as the Baltic Triangle which is now the, the type of cool, hipster, trendy place within the city, on the edges of the city. So it shows the land and the land ownership. So basically the Catholic Church was like, yeah, you bought the building, we own the land, and no, you, you won't have a swingers club nice. on it. And he's like... Well, the only swinger club in town is here at the Catholic property, folks, so come on down. And it was sort of like, he was like, he was mystified due to reports because he was sort of having the vibe of, am I living in serfdom? Am I living right. in a medieval type of thing where the Lord or the diocese or the bishop or the archbishop no doubt. or the duke tells me what I can and can't do in my property? Well, I mean, well, well yeah, exactly that's, that's what it is. is. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it is so there was no swinging club so 
Though in the end, the guy just he bought all this swinging equipment, apparently all all uh, jacuzzi. I mean, I'm sure that's a fruitful venture in the swinging business, but not when the Catholics were in town. So he basically he had all the beds, all the stripper poles, <laughs> all, all the all the S and M gear, all the whips and the chains, and he just had to give it. I think so. It's all the uh, clubs or the other places he bought it off at a, at, a, at a loss. And in the end, I think it just got turned into an architect's office or another <laughs> type of admin type um, office. That's too funny. Yeah, so it's just um, so the Catholic Church stopped swinging in Liverpool. <laughs> so, so, but again, it's about freedom. So, going back to what like um, Britain is, that's that's a perfect example of what Britain is. So, it's people that are in sorts of very tight bandwidths around mo- social mobility and economic mobility, and what's occurred is the EU is sort of perfect for the British political class because what happened in the late 70s when Margaret Thatcher became Prime Minister, Britain had an industrial manufacturing base. The manufacturing base obviously has unions in it. They give money to Thatcher's rivals, the Labour Party. So what Thatcher basically done was she then uh, created laws and rules against strikes and against uh, and ballots and the percentage of ballots needed to have a strike, and she she demonised the unions in a way I could justify it because there are very much stories in the late seventies of where people just wanted to go to the pub, um, they would go to the resident troublemaker in the hot head in the factory. And he would say, just upset the supervisor, the shop steward, the superintendent. He would do something really dumb. Then that would lead to him getting disciplined. And the next minute, there'd be a flash um, call for a ballot. And then there'd be a strike. And then everybody would have Friday afternoon off with pay. Come Monday morning, it would all be forgotten about. So the unions were getting a bit like that. So it was a mixture of um, Thatcher's trying to um, reduce workers' rights and then the abuse of those rights by um, senior figures within the union movement. So then manufacturing base leaves Britain, goes abroad. Uh, The unions are no longer as powerful as what they were. Labour is significantly reduced financially. But then what occurs is that Europe starts making laws so the political class now are like, well, why should we be staying up till Tuesday at 10pm arguing these like, like little bullet points on certain laws when all we do is just replicate the laws, what Brussels done, and vote them in. And then we're out of here by 6pm and we can spend time in the pub or spend time with our families, or go to swinging club. So, so obviously, I mean, not unless the Catholics have something to do with it. <laughs> well, I think in London, I think it's a bit different because you got the city of London. So right. basically, so what? You got, what it, you got the Catholic bankers in London running things. They like the swingers' clubs, is what you're ex- saying. Exactly. Or they like people swinging under bridges. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but we won't talk about that. Yeah. So, um, so basically what occurred was the British political class suddenly clicked 
and we're like, you know what? Let's just replicate everything that Brussels does. So then they do it. Then Brussels looks at this to say, they're not challenging anything we're doing. They're voting verbatim, word for word, what we're saying. Let's push the boat out. Oh, Britain, um, our European Court of Human Rights actually is more powerful than your Court of Appeal. Okay, then, sure. Doesn't matter. We've had that for like near a thousand years. Sure. I was going to say, that gets confusing with all those courts. It has to. There's so many courts between the EU and the individual nation states. It's, it's mind-boggling. So basically, Britain then votes in for that because obviously humans, all humans, we're all like this. We all want to be paid the most for doing the least the most amounts of work unless it's what you're really passionate in. If it's your passion, you will put 100% into it. But sure. if it's not your passion, you want to do as little as possible for as most money as you can get. And that's just how we are as a species. So we have this type of thinking. Brussels starts seeing that Britain isn't giving them any resistance. It becomes more and more socialist, more and more metropolitan liberal. The Tories start now in the late 90s, early 2000s. They start really getting worried about this because they realise that by stealth, Britain will basically become socialist and very metropolitan liberal, which is opposite what they want. So as a, as a counterbalance to that, because every action has an equal and opposite reaction, the Tories then find their Churchillian in 1940s British Empire gusto in a 2.0 type of fashion. And then Cameron then says, out of the blue, we're having a referendum. Um, Cameron then says that he's pro-EU, but then he doesn't really give a convincing argument as to why, which I think is deliberate because he's actually against the EU. So he was a double agent. Um, Interesting. So then what occurs then is he then promises, he says, I, I gave the country the vote. When I leave, whatever the results is, I will stay in and act as a will of the people because what? Because I need to show the people that once you activate something, you go through with it. So many days after the referendum, he quits. So that right. was so that was why I was thinking he was a double agent. He had done his mission, and now he could just chill in the south of France. He's currently right. living in the south of France. I, I was definitely cracked up when I read the detail that old boy quit. And I'm like, well, who's in charge of the the Brexit? Oh, they just don't give a fuck about the Brexit now. That's what this is about. <laughs> yeah, so one of the things what the Tories want is the Tories, I believe, want a sort of return to serfdom in which they... It's not an unholy alliance because it's not, but what they really want is... That he want the EU to give Britain absolutely no type of deal or support in leaving. Then what that does is that creates a siege mentality within the nation, which is us against the world. Then what we then do is we've then now got to get rid of certain laws. So what they will do is they will come with all types of laws that need... Um, repellent so we don't need an equality act and um, we've got to be like what the philippines 
are currently like or Thailand or Vietnam and you go into work and you don't know if you're going to be in the next day and it's all on the whims and the desire of your management. And again, it's a a 21st century serfdom. They think it will work like that. Now, the EU, they want Britain to basically be be flooded by the sea. They want Britain to go back to Neanderthal-type standards of living. Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, I I kind of view it as the EU is Rome. Like, they're, they're... They're the Vatican, it's Rome, and this is a, you know, this is a thousand-year-old, two-thousand-year-old, you know, battle between Britain and and Rome. You know, well, how many times has, has Britain separated from Rome in the past, and yet it just keeps coming, circling back every time? Well, well, well but basically what it is, is Europe, the EU, they want Britain just basically to fail, because the thing they're most scared of is the creation of another a multi-nation block, but this time in Europe. And this multi-nation block <coughs> is rather scary because it's very white supremacist and it despises Russia just as much as it despises Western Europe. So these countries are Hungary, Poland, Romania, um, Croatia, Slovakia, maybe the Czech, the Czech Republic. So what they're worried about is this block will separate any type of maybe future economic and social and democratic um, union between Russia and Western Europe and then this uh, block is highly religious uh, these countries that I've mentioned have the highest rates of Catholicism maybe anywhere in the world and they're actually going through a renaissance of Catholicism particularly Poland hmm. I didn't so, know that that's unfortunate so, so one of the things that the EU tried to do, which I couldn't believe knowing that there's this anti-EU feeling, is that the EU made a secret deal with um, Visa, the card company, the credit card and debit card company. Right. And what they wanted to do is an experiment. They wanted to make Poland the first nation in the world to be um, based on cards, not currency, not hard money. So when it got leaked, the Polish leader obviously looked at jackass because he didn't know what was going on for the plans of his own country. And then what happened, it wasn't really reported over here, but there was mass cutting up of visa cards all over um, Poland. Mm. And there is a big anti-card um, feeling in that nation. So people over there now are using money, cash money, more than what they're using in cards over That's there. That's definitely a good idea. So one of the things that this Eastern European bloc I'm sort of gathering from my researches what they want to do is they want to attract white people who are, for better word, racist or fed up of the diversity agenda that exists 
within um, the Anglo-American world, and they want to create as a white um, supremacist utopia where everybody is a Christian, stroke Catholic, and then everybody is white. So then that goes against the notion of the diversity notion of the European Union. Um, the founder, one of the founders of the European Union um, stated um, that his dream was for the future of Europe to resemble the people of ancient Egypt, who he said were a um, mixed heritage of black and of white. So basically his dream was a Europe that looked like me. <laughs> so so, so and that's uh, that's quotable. So if anyone doesn't believe it, you know, just type EU um it uh, looking like ancient Egyptians, um resemblance, whatever. And he if I mean the Frenchman and he said that because he said that the Egyptians were one of the most beautiful people um ever. So there's all of these things going on with the EU's agenda and then this Eastern Bloc, and then what the EU wants is they want this great nation of Britain, this great historical um, nation of Britain to fail and just go down the sewer and then go to the likes of Poland and Hungary. I mean, that just sounds like the same old same old song and dance, though, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, again, like Rome, Rome started England, essentially. I mean, they started London. I mean, the city of London today and since its inception 2,000 years ago plus has been owned by the Vatican. They, I mean, they still, I mean, in my, I don't know how that's taken across England, but I mean, from my perception, it just seems to me like they've always owned, owned it. And when, whenever they want to try to put things back in order, then they try to put things back in order. But Well, it's interesting because what it is, the, the, the title of the monarch is known as the defender of the faith. And that title was given by the Pope to Henry VIII because um, the Pope viewed Henry very early on before he went crazy with all the women um, <laughs> and the back pain because he had severe back pain, which then made him quite miserable and angry and all types of things. But very early on, uh, Henry was apparently quite a nice in person, quite charming and merciful and very interested in his people and quite devout in terms of religion. So the Pope at the time gave him the title of Defender of the Faith and said that his um, descendants would also have that title. So because Henry wanted a divorce and was also aware of the corruption previously within the Catholic Church with the Borgia family, where the Borgias, he was supposed to be this um, celibate type of Pope, but yet he was slinking cock everywhere, left, right and centre. Right. So uh, illegitimate children all over the place. Isn't his son, the Pope, that Pope's son, the current, one of the modern day depictions of Jesus? Yeah, again, yeah, one of them, <laughs> yeah, the Borgias, yeah. The yeah. Borgias... And um, that led to a wonderful, I think it was a HBO or Showcase um, series with Jeremy Irons. So people want to um, really look how, um, how debauched and how um, Machiavellian, so to speak, they were. It's, it's their theatre, what you need books anymore. But that's, who killed, that's who killed Da Vinci, right? 
I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. Because he, because Da Vinci sort of went a bit loose with one of his women. <laughs> so, so, so it, it always comes back to that. It always comes back to the women and the. Sex. It always comes back to the limit, women, taxes, and and land contracts. It's always about money and women. That's it, and, and, and drink. But anyway, so what occurs is is that Henry then gets this title. Um, wants to divorce, the Pope's like, no, you really take, I've granted you already four divorces, I shouldn't really be doing this, I'm not going, I told you the last time, this is forever and ever, he then basically uses the rule of Abraham, where God says like, I will make your, I will make your progeny like the stars in the sky, so then, like, Abraham was slinging it everywhere, left, right, and centre. So he was like, well, if Abra- if God can allow Abraham to sling it left, right, and centre, why can't I? So then it then ends with him going to Protestantism. But one of the interesting things is when a British monarch um, is coronated, one of the things that is within the ceremony in Westminster Abbey is that they say that they are the maintainer of the world. And what that basically means is that they are the manager of the entire world, but God is the owner. Sure. So, so, so this is where the beef comes between the British monarchy and and Rome. I personally believe I've said this on other uh, podcasts. So, if there's fans of mine that are saying you regurgitate the same information, this information <laughs> isn't really. Don't, talk- don't listen to him, Darren. Don't listen to him. This this information isn't really talked about. People so, criticize you about anything, but yeah, continue. So, one of the things I believe is that the reason why the British monarchy is so respected in, especially in the media over here is they are the descendants of uh, the ancient Egyptians, as we talked about in another uh, podcast on Operation GCD. So basically, you, you, you've you got Britain has tried to reintegrate, as you've mentioned, back into Europe via this economic union, which then has become more and more ideological and less economic through the time. Britain now is, 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 I believe Britain will leave because one of the things that we are as a people, we have a notion of, even today, a fair play. So if, for instance, we had an athlete that won a championship belt or a title or a medal or a championship and they were maybe a bit of the dark heart, they bent the rules to breaking the rules, it wouldn't be celebrated in this country. Um, we have a thing about we play by the rules and then we use that in a superiority thing to look down at other cultures that then bend the rules and break the rules. So sometimes we would rather lose a game fairly. It's very, it's very majestic of you all, Darren. Yeah, but then at the same time, we have the city of London and that does all worldwide corruption and thievery and it knows the loopholes. And they have, they have a, the, rumor has it they have a history of such activities, sure. So, so, <laughs> they, hung so, their, they hung the Vatican banker there on the bridge at the city of London just, what, three decades ago, maybe? Yeah, and nobody talks about that. Like, like you go to people and you're like, do you know, like one of the accountants for the uh, Pope 
fled Rome. Like what I believe with that looking into my research is let's call, I don't know his name, let's call him Giuseppe. Sure. Um, Because, you know, we we really keep our research tight on Operation GCD. (laughs) So Giuseppe is part of a a, a secretive uh, cult within the Vatican known as Propaganda Due, or the P2 Lodge. And he gets very disturbed at... There was a lot of wild things going on in terms, in the late 70s, and early 80s within the Vatican, there was a lot of disco music and cocaine and Satanism going on. Uh, one of the things that's ongoing, currently a big scandal, currently in 2018 Italy, is the um, search for the murderer of a young woman that was tortured, raped, tortured, and their body was disposed in the Tibris River in Rome, um, in the grounds of the Vatican. And um, they found, I think, more of her bones recently, I think, last week. Really? I did not know about that one. That sounds interesting. And there's a big investigation. I think she was 17 years old. She was a daughter of um, somebody quite senior in the Vatican City. And uh, they reckon that they basically, uh, they wanted her in, as, as they do, they wanted their in for um, come join our um, sex orgy, a uh, Satan devil worship and disco party, and she's like, uh, no, like f- no, thank you. I'd rather watch the um, soccer on the television, and they're like, no, we want you to join our sex disco um, satanic party, and she's like, no, I'm watching Roma versus AC Milan. So then that basically leads uh, to get uh, abducted something on the street in uh, Rome. And then they basically sick to say, but according to what they claim in Italy, uh, they've done some weird voodoo satanic sacrifice on it. And then just then done other things, God knows what. And then Yeah, it sounds wild. And then dumped the poor girl's body away. So this banker was this Giuseppe... He was seeing all this debauchery and I think he got a crisis of conscience and he was like, "Um, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So he gets a ledger of books and evidence and gets a plane to London and I believe he goes straight to um, the headquarters of the city of London. And he's like, I'm such and such a guy. You know who I am. These are the books of the Vatican. I've got the passwords. You can now basically blackmail them. Um, you can either take all their assets away from them right now, or you can blackmail them to leak them to the public. And then you can get all your United Templar lands back. So then what occurs then is he gets used, I believe, by the Knights Templars in London in the early 80s. They then call their enemies in Rome to say, we've got your home, boy, yeah. Right. So what we will do is, in the interest of um, maybe setting up a new understanding, we will give you Giuseppe. So then they're like agreed, all right, then bygones be bygones, respect. And then they just say to Giuseppe, you know, go to this pub, 
meet somebody, you know, da, 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 and when he goes there, it's um, a couple of Vatican assassins. Sure. With a black, massive, big Ku Klux Klan, a black type of attire, and massive big axes and all of that, and then they end up um, hanging him under Blackfriars Bridge, which then Blackfriars has some sort of connection with um, the church and the Catholic church. So it was a sim- sim- symbolic uh, murder. And then nobody in London saw it. Nobody. There was never any oh, yeah. it. You know, even though it was the 80s, London was still bouncing, still a 24-hour city, um, still millions of people living there. Maybe back in 1982, you might have had 3 million, 4 million people living there. But nobody saw anything. <laughs> of course not. I mean, it, it's the Vatican. It, it was just somebody walking past with a dog, just saw Giuseppe hanging under Blackfriars Bridge. Sure. So, and then they obviously then they did actually, they didn't actually cover it up. They gave his name. They explained who it was. Then other things were coming out about the P2 Lodge. So then I think the Knights Templar side then deliberately then leaked it to the world's media and then sort of double-crossed Rome to make it look like the Vatican Church was just wild and out of control. Sure. So there was all I think there's definitely a lot of that back and forth behind the scenes, the stuff, you know, activities and war going on, like, constantly. I don't think it's ever stopped. You know what I mean? I think it's just always been going on. Like, the more things change, they just seem to stay the same. I mean, it's an ongoing... It's the same argument. It's just, you know, through hundreds of years of the same families, you know, it's, I mean, you, we could, we could point at these, these things and these families and we can kind of have a slight understanding of, of the, you know, what's, what may be happening. But at the end of the day, like, I don't think we have, like, we're just barely scraping the surface. You know what I mean? So one of the things I want to link with America is that, I don't know if you know this, but the majority of your Supreme Court are all Jesuit-educated. Yeah, for sure. And I believe six of the nine of them are all from the same um, fraternal society in college. It's both sororities and fraternities, so both men and women can be a, a member of the society. But it is a fraternal organization. And the majority, and they've produced, I think, uh, maybe 30 or 40% of all U.S. Supreme Court justices. And currently, like, I think six. So one of the things, if people don't know about the Jesuits, they are known as um, the Black Nobility, um, how charming, uh, that's their nickname. Right. And they also have a nickname of the Vatican Assassins. And what they are is they are the economic stroke, cultural stroke, um, military side of the Vatican, the black ops, so to speak. And they um, make sure that the Holy Roman Church, the Holy See, still is relevant. They um, do a bit of Ray Donovan stuff. So somebody is suddenly murdered, they clean it up and pay people off and set people up and things like that. So the current Pope, uh, Pope Francis, is um, the first Jesuit, I believe, um, to have the role of Pope. So it shows that um, for whatever reason, I think it's crisis time. 
So rather than just be in the background, in the shadows, they've decided that they need to be front and centre as well. Sure. Um, because they're worried about the future of the church in terms of obviously the child abuse scandals. There was something big that recently happened in a part of America where certain things were, um, some indictments or some records were made public. I don't know if it was in Baltimore. It was the state of Pennsylvania, and it's, yeah. it's uh, they did a statewide grand jury investigation into the child diddling of the Catholic Church. I like to call them the cloaked diddlers of Rome, personally. That's my name for them. Because these guys, I mean, it's not just the state of Pennsylvania. It's not just the nation of Ireland. It's not just Australia. All of these places currently have indictments and scandals with high-ranking Catholic folk. Well, the big, well, well, the number one thing that will, <clears throat> and they've sort of not really talked about this because I don't know if they're trying to manage it out, out to talk about it, but the uh, Pope Francis's confidant, right-hand man, a uh, wingman, so to speak, is a man called George Pell. And George sure. Pell was given the role by Pope Francis to be the chancellor of the Catholic Church. So you just don't get that just through anything. You get that through, like, you've had to have done a lot of stuff and you've had to have ate your stripes to get that position. So (laughs) all of a sudden now, um, the country of Australia, which is basically owned by the Queen, um, press charges against Pell for being head of a paedophile ring in the late 70s to 80s and um, requested Pell to actually come over. They didn't do an extradition because obviously Vatican City is neutral, so it doesn't acknowledge extradition. How how convenient, right? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, guys, we're neutral. We're just going around violating all of your children in every nation, but we're neutral. Don't worry about it. So what um, happened was was that the Australians asked for George Pell of his own volition to come to Australia, um, which he did, and he's currently in the midst of a trial, which is taking a long time, and I'm hearing absolutely nothing about it. My fear is, is that George Pell will die before the verdict arrives mm. so it's it's taken for me it's like I, this occurred i think in february or march this year so um if it looks like he will be found guilty and then once he's found guilty then obviously pope francis and his judgments is now going to be put into question, and then also the entire Catholic Church, because if Australia is owned by the Queen, and the Queen is opposite to Rome, but then the Queen has the title of Defender of the Faith, will the Queen then try to use this to now devalue her rivals in Rome? So there's all types of things within this going on. Oh, for sure. Constantly, constantly. I, I mean, especially this current day and age, I feel like both sides of the pond, it's just every day, new stuff. Can I segue onto something completely more lighter and different? <laughs> for sure. 
one of the things that I love about American culture, as I've mentioned, is wrestling, professional wrestling. Um, I was a follower of something known as ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. I was a follower of something known as the WCW, World Championship Wrestling, that was owned by Ted Turner of CNN. And we will talk about CNN very quickly. I will link this through. And um, also a fan of uh, WWF, which then became WWE, because Vince McMahon um, promised Prince Philip that, he would eventually change the World Wrestling Federation to something else because Prince Philip wanted WWF for the World Wildlife Fund. Um, Vince McMahon then regained on this deal. Then it went to the High Court in London and then the High Court basically stated that Vince McMahon had two years to change the WWF to something else. So then um, he then changed it to WWE. So one of the great things with American professional wrestling is the promo. And what the promo is, is when it's a backstage vignette in which you have a reporter speaking to a wrestler about um, their ambitions or their aims or what is griping them or why did they do something despicable or what revenge they will take upon someone else. What's now occurred since the midterms is President Trump has gone full wrestling promo mode. <laughs> okay. In terms of his uh, brilliant um, t- um, take to Jim Acosta of CNN in an hour and a half um, press conference, which it wasn't... Um, mentioned within any of the mainstream media around how long it was in which Acosta stated that he wanted to challenge the president. So straight away we've got wrestling promo talk coming into it. Um, Trump was very surprised by such strong terminology. He then stated that the caravan um, coming from Honduras one of the most violent places in the world, per, per population in terms of murder and homicide, um, was only a few thousand people and it wasn't an invasion. And then basically Trump was being racist and promoting fear. Uh, Trump then stated that he was the president and he had more insider information than Acosta and he was worried <laughs> about this. Acosta then refused to then give a microphone to a young female member of staff at the White House uh, in quite a a very masculine mansplaining type of way to use a term from social justice warriors. And then that then led to Trump fantastically pointing his finger directly at Acosta and just saying how he was rude and a disgrace and how CNN was an enemy of the people. Um, then this then led to someone from the New York Times standing up quite wimpishly for Acosta, and then Trump then saying that he wasn't a fan of him neither. <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. And then what's happened a few <laughs> hours ago is somebody um, asked Trump about uh, if he plans to sack Mueller 
and he basically said that the person was an idiot. <laughs> right on the White House law. So the thing is, it's that we're starting now, it seems that we're now starting to get into the era of the wrestling promo. And I think the scary thing for the Democrats and for the metropolitan liberal media is that that type of communication is so easy to understand and is so entertaining that it will actually attract people more to Trump. Sure. Oh, I mean, he's he's a great reality TV star. He had proven that years ago. I, I mean, to be honest with you, he swayed my opinion since I was not on the Donald Trump train whatsoever when he was running for, for president. But, I mean, I judge folks by their actions, and he's definitely swayed my opinion on a number of fronts. But at the same time, like, he's clearly the best troll ever. Like, he knows exactly how to push folks' buttons to make them do what he wants them to do. For example, when for years he's talking trash to Senator Elizabeth Warren, Senator from Massachusetts, who claims to be part Cherokee and has actually gotten her job at Harvard University and ran for, you know, her Senate seat on this notion. And Donald Trump for years has been talking trash, but he finally got her to release her DNA results thereby herself proving that she was not Cherokee or Native American. So much so that the Cherokee Nation came out and said, look, this is disrespectful. This lady's crazy. <laughs> so where you're from at the moment, um, what is, because what I'm getting from British media is the BBC is partnered with CBS. So there's a very much um, Trump is insane. Oh yeah, I mean Trump. Trump is a threat to national security and global security and global economic security, even when the American economy is booming. But one of the things I want to know from somebody that hasn't ever visited America yet, hopefully we will meet and we will do Las Vegas. Right, um, for sure. And one of the things that I want to know from your personal experience um, over these past, from Kavanaugh up to now, economically, where you live, uh, is the economy really good? Are you seeing people with a bit more disposable income? Oh, I don't understand it, but for sure, the economy is definitely moving in a positive direction. There's, for I, I live in a fairly rural area, and the number of it's quickly becoming suburban. They're building a lot of homes. Don't know where these folks are coming from, but there's definitely a lot of homes being built. Honduras. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I love Donald Trump's accusations and assertions of fake news. To everybody. And when he, especially when they come up with the same nonsense continually and continually, I mean, I think, I think, there's got to be a certain degree of him is wearing on him. He knows how fake the Russian investigation is. It's, you know, they bring it up. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's the thing CNN will bring up, you know, when you ask him a question at a press conference, they'll, you know, they'll ask him a series of other questions and they're like, well, let's get a, let's get a comment on that Russian investigation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they've been jabbing at him for so many months. So I mean, what was, so what was the vibe with, um, 
the midterms? Like, for instance, did you vote? And what was the vibe around the voting booth? And who won your part of your country in the midterms? I'm still not. I'm still not certain what's going on with the midterms because. I mean, in my regions, it's very, very conservative. So it's predominantly, I mean, in the state of Ohio, outside of the three major cities, you really, it's all four, kind of four major cities. It's all conservative. The, the urban areas definitely heavily, Demo, you know, Democrat voters. So for the British people, because obviously like, like our media is dominated by like, like in movies and television and literature, it's generally... New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. So sure. what? So what are the major cities where you're from? So obviously Cincinnati. Cin- yeah, you got Cincinnati, Columbus, uh, Cleveland, and kind of Toledo, which was used to be a major urban region back when Detroit made vehicles. But when Detroit went out of business, all the folks that made the parts for Detroit went out of business. So is there a place called Dayton, Ohio? There is. I mean, that's kind of the uh, the slums of urban areas in, okay. any, in any place. Crack hit Dayton, Ohio real bad circa 1984. Real bad. I mean, it's bad still today. I mean, it's never really left Dayton. And you can tell Dayton used to be a major urban area maybe 50 years ago. So in where you live, it's is it's is would you say it's very people I'm trying to get an idea of it. There's a film called History of Violence. I don't know if you've seen that. No, it's I'm a, not here. It's a wonderful film by uh, David Cronenberg and it stars Vigo Mawson, who was um the, Lord of the Rings fella. Yeah, Lord of the Rings fella. And it's set in something he called Main Street USA, which is sort of Maybe as another pop, um, pop culture example, the place where like Marty McFly's from in Back to the Future. Sure, sure. That type, but um, not like Back to the Future too. More like say um, at the beginning when he's just um, when he's just skateboarding and stuff, and the woman's doing a fundraiser to get the clock tower done. So would you say where you live is very quintessential? like Main Street America? Yeah, for sure. I think most like rural conservative areas of America are all very much like that description. I mean, it's rapidly changing, I think, in some regions, just because it's not immigration. I don't know what it is. Just like I don't know what's going on with these midterms because, uh, for example, you have urban areas like Miami, Florida, obviously various ethnicities comprise that city. But the people who run the politics there don't, you know what I mean? We're talking Debbie Wasserman and Schultz and her crew. Uh, you know, they're the ones who are, that's Broward County right now. That's a big, big, uh, like maybe a million voters. And they're currently at, at a controversial point within Florida politics and electing their governor and their senator. And that county's just like holding on to their votes. They're like, well, we don't know if we want to play this game. We don't know if we want to let you guys read these ballots. You know, and they're so the Democratic Party has taken a strange stance in Florida, Arizona, South Carolina. There's a number of Georgia. There's a number of states for gubernatorial, the governor positions of the state and the state's U.S. senators where the Democratic Party is just like, well, we don't like the results of this. So we're not going to play that game. Because one of the things I 
um, look again outside looking in is what I think what's going to happen with your nation is it's sort of going to I don't I don't know if it will be a civil war I, I think it can't be because I remember reading about gun proficiency in America in terms of voting and people who are Republican have a higher usage of gun efficiency and their relationship with firearms. That's a nice way to put it. (laughs) And their proficiency with firearms is a lot more higher than Democratic voters. So one of the things I think could happen is that the urban areas, the likes of your Bostons and your New Yorks and your Miamis. Philadelphia. And Philly and Los Angeles, Seattle. Sure. I, I oh, Seattle's a mess. It's the whole West Coast. I think what'll happen. I think what'll happen is they'll become um there'll be mass caravans and people will end up going to these places and it'll be a divided um country. And then I think the future where the only thing where it might get hot is the change in the electoral college where what might happen is they might say, well, we want popular votes and we don't want electoral college votes. So then if it went to the popular vote, then the Democrats would win because it would be in the areas with the higher amounts of people rather than just doing that, where the electoral college system, I believe, is to balance a power away from the big urban areas. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's definitely one way it might go. But, I mean, they're always jacking with the voting systems. I mean, it's always rigged. It's just who rigs it best. You know what I mean? So, for the next two... So, so one of the things I fear is a woman called Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. And she is the most saltiest, fieriest person I think I've seen in politics. Like if she became she's from Cal- California, I mean that's a very she's very California politician. I mean that's all kind of like that. If she was president, I think she'd start nuclear war with Putin within two weeks. She may start a nuclear war with herself. That lady's crazy. So what do you because there's another guy is it called because Newsnight was talking about and called is it Beto or Bento from Texas? Yeah, yeah, that guy's also crazy. <laughs> But it's kind of crazy. So, who do you think's going to challenge Trump in two years? Do you think Hillary, the the corpse, might rise one more? They'll, time? they'll roll her back if she loses in twenty. Yeah, I mean, I fully expect her to to lose. I'm just saying, if she does lose, because she's running. I mean, it's clear she's running. She hasn't announced it yet, but it's been clear for about six or seven months that she's running. She started doing fundraisers at least as far back as April or May international again she's taking other folks money once again so if you so the runners and riders versus trump is it, your friend bernie saunders um the aldi driving um, marxist <laughs> yeah um, right he's <laughs> obviously, nuts <laughs> he's obviously involved and he's nuts hillary clinton we know is clearly nuts uh, Kamala and um, is it Beto or Benzo? I uh, yeah, I think it's uh, Beto. Beto. I'm to be honest with you, I don't know. So, who do you think if you had ten bucks, who would you put your ten bucks on to face Trump in 2020? 
Oh, it's definitely Hillary, without oh, a doubt. God. I, but they, that's what I'm saying. They may, if when she loses in 2020, they may roll her back out for 20, 2024. It's, it's possible. Wow. Unless she's in jail or dead, they'll put her in a wheel. People will vote for her, man. They, she has quite a following. I don't understand. I don't personally understand it, but I mean, she ha- I can recognize there is a lot of folks that are big fans of Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Can't you save us, Britney Spears? Can we be saved? God, why is Satan controlling the universe? So on other things, um, we've covered medieval a little bit. We've covered American politics. Is there anything other random that has got your attention since the last time we spoke? Anything in terms of uh, news, in terms of funny stuff, movies you've seen? Is there anything that's got your attention? No, man, just the, uh, just, I, to be honest with you, I was looking forward to talking about the activities of uh, Liverpool. You know, it's a, this, the strange art, art exhibits, if you will. I'm not sure if I would refer to them as art, but they're, they claim to be art. And uh, I, I've definitely enjoyed your documentation of those events because I think this, these kind of strange activities go on in a lot of different cities, varying degrees and types of activities, but they go on in a lot of different cities. And I don't think people really understand why. And I think it's a very ancient in a cult reason like that these folks are doing these activities there you well know, liverpool has definitely got its occult history it's in its ancient history it was built around mounds you know like many other towns in europe and in america well one of the things um the wonderful thing with operation gcd is we plan things and then things don't go to plan because nothing ever does go to plan, people, does it? So it's just one of them things. So what the main reason for this conversation was for me to talk about what's going on in Liverpool, but we just go with the flow and we leave. For sure. And, you know, it's a triple sandwich, people, so you, you're still getting the sandwich, don't worry about it. You're just getting layers, different layers, different textures, different flavours in this episode. So just for everyone to know, um, there was a very strange public art events it was the biggest public art event in the united kingdom in 2018 and it was from thursday the 4th of october 2018 to sunday the 7th of october 2018 and it was a celebration of one of the things that jj loves those really tall people called giants and it and was, they were big. Those things were giant. Yeah, they were. One was actually 33 foot tall. <laughs> of course. Of course. It had to be 33 foot tall. Right. right. And, he, and he was the dad. He was the father. So he's 33 foot tall and he's male. So I wonder if he's got an apron somewhere and he's got white gloves and some loafers and all of that type of thing. A set square and a compass somewhere in his um, office space study. So sure. basically, so what it was was that Liverpool previously, uh, on two separate occasions, 
had um, commissioned a French art company called Royal Deluxe. Very strange because French people are very anti-monarchy. But yet this art company is called Royal Deluxe. And they are from um the they are from Toulouse in the south of France, and they have gone around the world and they have done a number of performances. Some of these performances have very interesting names. Um, one in Barcelona was called The Giant Fallen from the Sky. So I'm getting a bit of Nephilim, a bit of Fallen Angel stuff going on there. Um, then we have one, JJ, which is obvious. It's obvious. This one was in London in 2006, and it was called The Visit of the Sultan of the Indies on his time-travelling elephant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds pretty trippy. So there you go. So you've got that. Um, you've got another one um, in France in Nantes called The Giantess and of the Titanic and the Deep Sea Diver. Um, then you've got another one... Um, from Antwerp in 2010, uh, the diver, his hand, and the little girl giant. Uh, then we have a uh, 2010 in Guadalajara, Mexico, and that was just called the Giants of Guadalajara, and that was seen by 3.5 million people, and it was on the invitation of the Mexican president, and it oh. was. It was about the revolution. It was about the centenary of the revolutionary and the bicentenary of the independence. So you know, obviously, Mexican independence is linked with giants. Sounds like uh, a pretty yeah. Sounds like a pretty important event they had there. Yeah, and then we've got something um, in Nantes in 2014 called the Palanque Wall, which was named <coughs> after Einstein's teacher. Max Planck, who was the first scientist to come with the idea of alternative universes and um, time travel and other things. Um, we've got something, another great title um, that happened in Limerick in, I believe, 2014. And this one was just called the grandmother fallen from the galaxy into a field in Munster. <laughs> Sounds like a uh, indie rock album name. <laughs> there you go. And we've got Perth, Australia. And that event, that Royal Deluxe done, was called The Incredible and Phenomenal Journey of the Giants to the Streets of Perth. Um, we've got something else in um, Antwerp again, which was just called The Giants. Uh, we've got something that occurred in Montreal for the 370, the 375th anniversary of that city, and that was called the Great Invitation. And now we have the cherry on the cake for you, JJ. You know what the cherry on the cake is called? What's that, what's that Darren? The Saga of the Giants, the Knights of Lost Time. Oh, nice. And that occurred in Geneva, Switzerland. 
So these people, Royal Deluxe, are a global, worldwide art pro artistic company. They're busy, and, it sounds like. And uh, according to them, they have played in front of more than 24 million spectators with around 1,500 performances in more than 172 cities in 40 countries and five continents. And what they do for all the performances, they um, they basically give running commentary via large PA systems, all in French. So if you're from Liverpool, where the majority of the people speak a variant of the Queen's English, which isn't the Queen's English, sure. how the hell are you expected to keep up with a rolling commentary in French? <laughs> That's strange. So that guy could be saying some Enochian magic, some weird type of hymns, something, and you're just sitting there, you're just part of the ceremony. Right. So It's like listening to a Led Zeppelin song. You're just part of the ceremony. Yeah, so what, <laughs> so, so what was really interesting about it was the first thing that occurred was a series of vehicles that were um, had giant steak knives through them. And the first one was a single-decker bus that was outside the main um, train station, Lime Street train station in Liverpool. And... Um, it, yeah, that was aggressive. That was the, the whole knife through the bus thing was real aggressive looking. Well, obviously, because knife depicts food and then something's giant and then obviously what type of um what what goes into a bus for people so it's sort of hints and a cannibalism sure i could see that so um you had all these people and one of the things is i don't really blame the the satanic um ruling elite i, I don't really blame them because people are have no s skills in terms of just saying what the f is this people are just i think it's also combined i think people have always been like this but i think with the emergence of instagram and the emergence of social media you want to show everybody you're doing something just like they're doing it sure so so a friend of mine who hates crowds, who didn't want to be anywhere near the city centre, what he'd done was he got all his food shopping in for him and his girl, a friend, and they got it on the Wednesday. And he said, I'm not even going out my front door. I don't want traffic jams. <laughs> I don't want it. Um, I don't want kids screaming. And he lives four miles away. And he told me shortly after he was like, I didn't need to go because I saw that much on Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and um, Twitter. And then on top of that, I had the television, little bits from the local television. So why did I need to see anything when it was all there? So right. it's just, just interesting. People lack these skills. Like on the 4th of October, 
they had um, Arriva, which is the company that runs the public transport system, the bus system in Liverpool. And they had a huge um, knife, as I've said, through it. And on the front of the bus, the bus's own ID reference number was 2465. So all you've got to do is put a free in that number and you have 24365. Yeah. So they're already giving you code. So now I'm thinking, right, there's a bus. It's split into fire of violence action with a knife outside the train station. So for those people that believe in incidences that are forewarned before they happen, certain tragedies, I don't want to say, say, I don't want to talk too much, JJ, because people can twist my words here in Liverpool (laughs) and they can say, oh, you are wanting this to happen. All I'm saying is, is that in a very touchy-feely, me too world that we're living in in terms of you can't be aggressive you people do mansplaining you can't shame people there's all of this victimization uh, you've got to have empathy and understanding why would you have something as visceral as a bus split in two with a huge knife in it especially when britain yeah is going through an epidemic of knife crime. Heavy knife crime. Y'all are under heavy knife crime. So I couldn't understand that with a lot of murders. There's been a lot of stuff occurring in Liverpool City Centre earlier this year and a lot in 2017 where people died going out on a Friday and Saturday night. Altercations occurred. People got stabbed. There was something a few days ago in Liverpool City Centre, no, last weekend, (coughs) where a Hindu was passing um, local McDonald's on Church Street, Lord Street, a very significant place where the mounds are, by the way. There was a group of feral youth, teenage feral youth, and they started being insulting to these group of women. The women then gave just as good as what they got verbally. And then a group of teenage girls who was part of the feral youth then threatened to stab them, produced a knife, and then basically chased one around Church Street. And imagine the Benny Hill music. Right, right. The woman's wearing her bride headdress. She's got a sash on. She's got her 80s leg warmers on, as they always seem to do over here. (laughs) And and there's a girl that most probably looks very much like a boy in a tracksuit running around with a blade trying to slice her up. Very stabby. So The whole situation over there seems very stabby right now. So the thing that amazed me was that, well, why isn't the council who's got an anti-knife crime initiative why have they just ver- verified this occurring? So there's some symbolism there. The number of the bus, as I've mentioned, uh, was um, 24.65. All you've got to do is put a, a free in it, and it's 24.365. It's outside the main train station at Liverpool. Right. So, for all the people that are interested in this type of 
alternative research. I would pay attention to Liverpool City Centre and I would pay attention to buses in Liverpool and I'd pay attention to the train station because one of the things Carl Jung, um, Sigmund Freud's student come rival said is that it's very possible that our collective thoughts can manifest reality. Sure, sure. For better or for worse. So I don't want anything to happen in my home city and I can just say, oh, I told you so. I mean, that's basically the plot of Ghostbusters. You know, they manifested the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man because that's what, that's what he thought of. Well, we have another interesting thing with a mound as well. Um, we have a steak fork that was put through a Reynolds car a few days later, and that was outside of St. Luke's Church, and it was a butter knife, um, and it was um, it was parked in one of the taxi spaces outside the church. Again, very unsettling uh, image to see. Um, and the title of it is, uh, if people want to see it, it's from the Liverpool Echo, the 5th of October 2018. And the title is Giant Fork, latest massive token to appear in Liverpool. The newest, piece of, the newest piece of cutlery was found by the bombed out church. Basically, there was a church in Liverpool known as St. Luke's and it was built so well that when the Germans uh, bombed in, I think, 1941, uh, the bomb went through the roof of the church, incinerated everything inside the church, but the brick was that tough, it, the, the building stood mm. without, without any need of any repair. So it was built, so it's a very interesting building to um, do that, but that's what them old boys used to do. So there's still a debate running from that if they should make it back into a church or a community centre or into some sort of conference centre. So it's no locally as um, St Luke's Church. It's at the top of a street called Bold Street, which many people believe is a ley line and has some sort of, sometimes it goes in and out a frequency into other dimensions and it goes back in time. Some people believe that um, they have gone back into the 1920s and people have looked at them and seen them in 21st century attire to go, what are you wearing? And they're looking at the people to go, what are you wearing? <laughs> and then they continue to walk down the street and then they're back into 2004. So this St. Luke's Church is at the top of that street. So it's a, yeah, so that's like an important like spot then. Yeah, so some it's very... Sort of, some sort of importance in the uh, uni universal sense. Yeah. I, so I think that's what these mounds are. I think that's exactly the kind of things that the mounds were marking. Like these are important spots in a universal sense. Well, the whole thing of this, just my own universal summary of why this event occurred, and, I'll, and the importance of this event is amazing because it even contradicted the local authorities' metropolitan liberal stance on disability access of public transport. 
But what I believe, I think I've told you, is there was a huge site in Liverpool and the city council wanted to turn it into a huge mall and they went to the Duke of Westminster. He's, he's passed away, his son's now got the title, but the Duke of Westminster was the head of our National Guard or what we call the Territorial Army, the Weekend Warriors. Sure, so okay. And um, they went to the Duke of Westminster and his company Grosvenor and they basically said, we will give you this huge amount of land um, for virtually nothing, but we want you to build like um, a shopping mall, new cinema, um, a Nando's, a Foot Locker, a Disney, Adidas Shop, um, Gap, you know, like, like what everyone's got around the world, isn't it? Dunkin' Donuts, everything. Sure. So he builds it, but to build it, it was the biggest building site in Europe for about four years. Now, what I believe is that maybe they found some interesting artifacts, some larger, large artifacts in that building site because I think they dug at least, because there's quite a deep car park under it, I think they might have dug at least 100 to 200 metres down. So they sure, might... Okay. So they that's might, pretty good depth. So they might have found some sort of big bones, let's say, type right. of thing. So then what that then means is Liverpool becomes some sort of holy site. And then... It do. Yes. It still is a holy site today for numerous folks. I mean, there's there's op- there's open druidic style ceremonies in the in the Liverpool parks that that still openly have mounds and used to have mounds. Well, exactly. So the you see, well, the thing is, I live in the city, so I've got to be aware of the Vatican assassins. <laughs> so I'll let you say all of this hot sauce, <laughs> but we can come after you rather than just get the bus and get me. I was literally reading about one of these parks, and I want to say it's, is it Prince's Park, I believe? Prince's Park, the one and only, has an, a, a wooden version of Stonehenge. Yeah, and, and it's formerly home to some mounds that were destroyed around the same time the mounds, many mounds were destroyed here in America, around 1830s. They destroyed the mounds there in that park, but the, yeah, the wood hinge still today is home to ceremonies. I'm reading like the Google review or something of the park like the third or fourth review is like, this is a very nice park, yada, yada, yada. But don't come here during this time of year because some strange folks come here for some ceremony. I was like, what? What? That's a, yeah, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. I'm like, that's the strangest review of a park I've ever read. Well, well, what, what's interesting is, um, when the, when one of the giants, um, well, let's get, I'll get back into bit into Prince's Park. Yeah, so yeah. designer of Prince's Park, there was two designers of Prince's Park, but one was known as Sir Joseph Paxson. And after Paxson had made Prince's Park, um, a guy known as Baron Mayer de Rothschild goes okay. to Paxson, and in 1850, he says, I like what you've done. Um, seven years ago with that park in Liverpool. Um, I'd like you to build my, um, I'd, I want you to build me a banging mansion. 
I want you to build me the best mansion in the country. So he does, and it's called Mentmore Towers. And for all of those that are interested in pop culture, in the Batman Christopher Nolan series, the place that is depicted as Wayne Manor is Mentmore Towers. Oh, that's cool. I did not know that. I do like those movies. And then um, when Tom Cruise comes out of the car to go into the orgy and eyes wide shut, the exterior of the building is Mentmore Towers. The actual interior is another um, stately home in Britain. Damn you, Hollywood trickery. So um, we've got a link between uh, that also. um, It had a very, very strange um, type of Masonic Lodge that was part of it. And um, that was bombed in 1940, and that was known as the Doric Lodge. Now, if you've just put into Google the Doric Lodge, which is D-O-R-I-C, when you put that into Google, you just get Masonic Lodge here, Masonic Lodge there, Masonic Lodge here, Masonic Lodge there. And the Doric Lodge, when it was there, was built in a classical Greek amphitheater type of um, design and it was next to something known as the sun-based gates. Mm. So we have sun worship, we have masonry, then we have a, a obelisk that is linked to another obelisk in the adjacent park known as Sefton Park and it is only just, it's not perfectly aligned because obviously now we've got satellite and that type of technology, uh, we can see that it's just offset, and it's because they didn't have the technology. So with the technology they had back in the day, they tried to make it in line with another obelisk in another part in another adjacent park. So it's got a very Masonic background. Um, it's got an island um, within the lake of the park. Sure. And um, that lake, when I was growing up, that was my local park as a child. And we used to call it Devil's Island. That's what it was locally known as. Okay. Numerous people, why was it given the name Devil's Island? And everyone's like, we don't know. That was just the name that was just within the community that it was given as. So we've got all like pagan stuff and monosonic stuff. Oh, yeah. Heavily. So one of the things that occurred was um, one of the giants was uh, called Little Boy and he was in sub-Saharan African in um, resemblance and, well, he was little compared to the other giants. And um, where Princess Park is, it's now the home of the city's diverse community so there's Somalian people, there's people from uh, the Middle East, there's white people, there's people like me, white and black, there's West Africans, there's people from the Caribbean, South America, you name it, there's all people everywhere, Kyrgyzstan, everywhere. So because this, because Princess Park and that area is the home of Liverpool's established black community, they decided, I think, to have a black giant and they called it Little Boy. Now, some of the community didn't like that because 
the term boy in America in the Deep South is very derogatory to black people. And then obviously the black giant is the boy. So that shows immaturity in youth, whereas the others tend to be more white or Caucasian in their resemblance. So it was a bit of tokenism, I believe, from the local authority, definitely. And then the thing that you got in the video uh, that I sent via Twitter was when I walked into the park, um, they were playing a song, and the song that they were playing was on, this is on Friday the 5th of October, it was a song by Howling Wolf, known as Evil. Right. So I'm thinking, what has Louisiana Delta Blues got to do with my area of Liverpool where I was brought up in my childhood? And what's it got to do with the Giants? And then as it's playing, I then obviously see the wooden replication of Stonehenge. And then some people believe that Stonehenge, they were doing blood sacrifices and all of that stuff. Sure. So I'm thinking, what I is think that happened at a lot of the mound sites, and Stonehenge is another mound site. In fact, I believe the mounds there are to hold more ancient uh, people that were attributed to building those mounds, the beast so, people. So the thing, when I was looking again, when I was looking at people, I was I done the video and and that song was still playing, and it's not like a popular one. It's not like. I want to dance with somebody by Whitney Houston. You know, you wouldn't exactly go. Right. To, you wouldn't it's go. It's not to, a popular song here. No, I didn't know that song until you you you'd sent it. I looked it up. You wouldn't exactly be in a karaoke bar somewhere in the world, and they'd say, "What would you like to sing?" And um, "Don't Stop Till You Get Enough" by Michael Jackson. <laughs> right. And you go, "No, no, I said Evil by Howling Wolf." <laughs> you know, we'd be like, "What the hell is that?" Yeah, so, get some so, the, weird looks. so the thing is, it's that I'm looking at other people and I'm saying, are you getting the vibe of what I'm getting about the appropriateness of this song? And a lot of people um, took the day off work to see this and um, a lot of schools were there all over Liverpool. And Quite I'm, a spectacle, huh? And I'm thinking there was all types of people. It was really diverse, really interesting. And I was thinking, right... You know, is there anybody giving me quizzical looks as if to go, what the hell lyrics is this song? Nobody did. Because, <laughs> because again, because what we've got now, we've just got an, a, 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 a psychology within maybe the Anglo-American world where people just can't critically think anymore and people are just drones. and NPCs, I love that meme. The, yeah. the NPC meme, non-player characters, and that's it. And I just <laughs> think I, I, me up, man. I, so I, much, I see so much of that for sure. And I, and I just think you know, I want people to listen to this conversation, and I want people just to have an, an not not an open mind, just have a common sense mind. Like if Liverpool's going through and the UK's going through an epidemic of knife crime, why <laughs> right. do you decide to have a knife connected with public transport? And young people are dependent in, like, I, I don't know what it's like, in our country we're less of a car nation than yourselves because we're smaller. So in the major cities, 
public transport's a lot more popular. Sure. And a lot of people get it, and a lot of young people, that is their mode of transport. A lot of people really still don't get the first vehicle to maybe when they're 23 to 25 years old. Okay. So the thing is, it's that a lot of people who are, are victims of this knife crime, they are getting on public transports and then you're connecting it with a knife. It seems aggressive. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So, so we, so we have this lack of just, of just critical common sense, thinking on an open mind, just right. not a conspiratorial grand design, a Sherlock Holmes type of mind. I'm, I'm no different to the average person, but I just look and I go, that doesn't make sense. But why is it there? So then, the yeah. Ad- what's like? What's the motivation behind it? Like, what's the motivation behind this giant spectacle of giants? Like, what? I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like, I don't under- necessarily understand the whole motivation behind the whole thing. But I tend to think it's likely some sort of ceremony of sorts. So what happens now? Speaking of so back your theory, Liverpool City Council has a regulatory body known as Mersey Travel, and they regulate the private companies that do the trains and do the bus um, buses throughout the county of Merseyside, which Liverpool is part of. One of the things that they pride themselves on is having this metropolitan liberal insight into disability and trying to improve their awareness of this for people who have mobility issues. And one of the things, as everybody knows, um, in English, in England is made, or the UK is made up of tea, triple sandwiches and soccer. <laughs> and, and, and that is the foundation of it. So right. Liverpool on the 7th of October, um, early on in the season, maybe about the sixth or seventh game of the season, are undefeated in the league, and they are hosting the champions, Manchester City, who themselves are undefeated in the league. Last year, Manchester City lost, I believe, uh, lost four games last year. Two of the four were against Liverpool. So so this is a big game. Pretty contentious then. Contentious. It's Liverpool versus Manchester. Both cities are very close to each other. Both have an intense rivalry. But according to the bookies, the bookmakers... One of these two are going to end up winning the title this season for the league. So it's all built up. The head of Mersey Rail turns around the week before the game and says, we're not having the special service to connect people uh, from the designated train station and shuttle bus service to Anfield. You've got to make your own way because we've got the Giants. So people are like, wait there, you've got the Giants on. You've known you've got the Giants on. This is a massive game. This is England, the home of soccer. Right. And you're just now saying, get on with it. So if you're in a wheelchair, get on with it. <laughs> right. So what is the point of having the service? What is the point of having this policy 
if now you're saying as the chief executive of Mersey Rail on Radio Merseyside, we're not going to have it. So I tweeted them and I was like, well, you could have it at an alternative station because they actually close certain stations to make it easier for in and out for people to see these giants. So they were just like, they were just like, no, we're not doing it. So then there were people. I bumped into a woman I know whose husband goes to Liverpool, has got a season ticket, and he's dependent on this service to go to the game. And because this service wasn't available, he now just had to sell his ticket because it because he was like, well, if I go, I've got to get a t- I've got to get a taxi, a cab. And then when I leave, I've got to stay in the pub for at least an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes to wait till the crowd dissipates and wow. we open the roads outside the stadium. And then I then have to get a taxi home. So he was like, I might as well stay at home. <laughs> so, so you've got a city that is obsessed with soccer and you've got the biggest game up to that point of the season. And they were just like, the public transport for it just isn't there. you just got to make your own way. So everybody was saying the previous week, Liverpool were in London playing an away game against Chelsea on the Saturday evening. Everton were playing a very, very smallly supported London club called Fulham. So people in the city were like, well, why couldn't Everton put that game 24 like on the Friday evening and then that way the Saturday and Sunday you wouldn't have these issues and then the following week you could have full transport for Liverpool Manchester City so the thing I get is that this whole event had to be between the 4th and the 7th there was something significant Sure, about, it sounds like they definitely made some concessions to definitely squeeze it in there. About the 4th to the 7th of October, an example being was I went to see some of the um, display in the afternoon of Sunday the 7th and I um, saw the 33-foot giant awake and then next to it was a... Again, a weekend warrior stroke Royal Marine Commando uh, base. It's one of their training bases for officer training uh, they have in the UK. And it was directly next to where this 33-foot giant awoken on Sefton Street. And out of their barracks came one of the giants from one of the previous performances years later, the little girl. Really? Okay. So I was thinking, okay, you've got Royal Marine commando connection to these giants. Okay, this is getting really interesting now. And then they opened the gates and then uh, she came round the huge barracks and then everyone clocked it and then they opened the gates and then she joined the procession and they closed the gates. There was no military um, escorts or anything I think there was only members of staff at the gate to open the gate and close the gate, but it was all done with the blessing. And if it was done on 
the um, Royal Marine Commandos base, it would have had to have gone through the Ministry of Defense. Oh, yeah, you're definitely getting some approvals there. So if people want to read more what they want to read, um, I would recommend that you go to the website giantspectacular.com and I will leave you with this from the education pack. So this was a pack that was available for um, elementary school children. And one of the sections was known as history. And this is on page, let me see what page are you? I think you're on page five of this um, education pack. And I kid you not, this is what it says in one of the bullet points for the history section. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. History and how this could tie to dreams for the future politically. Brexit, migration, borders, etc. So I have no idea now what Martin Luther King has now got to do with giants walking the streets of Liverpool. But this is the stuff. Seems obscure. Seems obscure. This, this is the stuff in the education pack that elementary kids were given as a, as a, as a link with their curriculum to the events. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Darren. That's so if, so if you think that anybody, makes it even more obscure than it already was. <laughs> so so if you people think I'm weird, I'm I'm just the guy that is just reading the official stuff. Right, right. I'm no Julian Assange. <laughs> I'm, I'm not in the Ecuadorian embassy worried about my life. I ain't hacked into anyone's emails or anything. I just have a common sense perspective. I just say, what the hell's going on? Why does this doesn't make any sense? I just highlight it and the world says I'm weird. So make of that what you will. And always remember people, Operation GCD. And for all the British people, JJ, could you please tell them your Twitter details and places that they can access your website? Sure. Well, Darren, thanks again for joining us today here to get a little GCD. Appreciate it. And, Good times as always. I enjoy the conversation. And folks of the interwebs can find Operation GCD at operationgcd.com and on Twitter at Operation GCD, which is routinely where I communicate with Darren about the topics we've discussed today. If any of you um, people really want your uh, noodles um, wrapped around some hot sauce, uh, you can get me on Twitter on the following twit, 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 Twitter account, which is Daz, D-A-Z, Alt, A-L-T, Fairy. That is Fairy as in science, not Fairy as in Tinkerbell. Right. <laughs> awesome. Well, oh, can I say one more thing quickly? A- absolutely, Darren. I'll let you close it out here for us. Thanks again, bud. Th- this show is in tribute of a friend of mine who passed away earlier today. His name was Neil Atkinson. Um, the reason why this show is in tribute of him was Neil was a on and off radio DJ throughout the years on my local FM independent radio station, City FM. 
He had a deep interest in the alternative and the conspiracy. He somehow, for two years, had a show on FM and on digital radio and on the internet known as Planet X. I sent him a couple of emails. He then replied, invited me to the studio, um, where he said that he wanted me to be a guest a week after interviewing David Icke. Um, I've never, I've met, oh, awesome. I've met people in my life that have been very kind and very open-minded, and Neil um, was one of them. I hadn't seen him, I think, in about four years. Uh, he passed away, age fifty years old. If you want to know more about Neil, the person he is, you can go to a website called Radio Today UK which is the industry standard um, website for the radio industry in the UK. And the uh, title is Tributes Paid to Radio Presenter Neil Atkinson. And the way you spell Neil is N-E-A-L. Um, so that's for you, Neil. Much yeah, love. for sure. Thoughts and prayers. Uh, thank you for everything you've done for me. And I know wherever you are, you'll be buzzing off this, mate. So thank you. Absolutely. All right, Darren. Well, till uh, till next time, there, dude. We'll uh, we'll talk again. Well, that's it. That's the show here, folks. So the next time you're out on the town, visiting your local watering holes, or perhaps just meandering around, and you hear the unmistakable sounds of metal clanking, and you spot signs of a disturbance, well, check your six. Look in that garbage can, cause you never can tell. The GCDs may be loose in your town. Mm-hmm.